this is Kara Foster from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky, and you're listening to our sermons podcast. And if you want to find out more information, you can connect with us at www.madisonvilledisciples.org or come in person at 1030 College Drive, uh, Madisonville, Kentucky. Subscribe and enjoy these podcasts. Today is the last of the I Am sayings from the Gospel of John. Next Sunday begins Palm Sunday. Jesus will show us who he is as he rides triumphantly into the city of Jerusalem and Holy Week begins. And the truth is I've gone a bit backwards with these I Am sayings because I have saved this one for last when Actually, it comes first in the Gospel of John. It's the first of the I Am sayings. But I wanted to keep this one last because I think when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, that when Holy Week comes, he will show us with his very body what that means to be living bread to offer all the world. Now keep in mind when our passage begins today that just the day before, Jesus has fed the 5,000 with just a few loaves of fish and bread, and now everybody knows about him. It sort of reads in John chapter 6 like Jesus is one of the Beatles. Everyone is after him and following him. It even says that he had to get away before they tried to make him a king. He gets on a boat. They follow him on the boat. They all want something from him. What sign are you going to do for us, Jesus? What are you going to give us, Jesus? Our ancestors got manna in the wilderness. What are you going to do for us today? And in verse 33, he says, For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And here is where we pick up today in verse 35 in chapter 6 of John. So they say, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you, you have seen me and yet do not believe. Everything the Father gives me will come to me and anyone who comes to me I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of whom sent me, that I should lose nothing, all that he has given me, raise it up on the last day. This is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. And then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the father who has sent me. And I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who's from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. 
I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now I must admit, of all the changes that the church has had to temporarily put in place because of COVID, the one, well one, that has pained me greatly is the loss of food in church. We love that hospitality table. We love our food in church. What do they say? If you feed them, they will come, right? Uh, My kids have had some amazing, wonderful Sunday school teachers here. They, They love Wednesday night logos. They love vacation Bible school. They love everything about church. And one time when I was feeling particularly warm and fuzzy, I asked them to tell me, What's your, what do you love most about church? What's your favorite thing? And the answer was quick and unanimous, the donuts. <laughs> the food. True story. Uh, after tending to the people's very real physical hunger, Jesus speaks to a hunger of a different kind. In her powerful little book by Barbara Brown Taylor, It's called When God is Silent. She writes, Perhaps there's no proof of a famine exists except the fact that people are hungry. In the land of plenty, the course of that hunger can be difficult to diagnose. It's often not until we have tried to ease it with everything else, we know that we discover by process of elimination our hunger for God. After all... Many in that crowd chasing Jesus down had already eaten. They'd been filled just the day before, but they wanted more. What can you do for us, Jesus? There's a difference between being full and being satisfied, isn't there? Jesus rightfully turns this moment into a teaching moment. He takes this moment to talk about spiritual hunger, about hunger that no amount of food can fill up. And as a quick historical side note here about verse 41, you may notice when it says, then the Jews began to complain about him, essentially saying, who does this guy think he is? We know his mom and dad, and he's telling us he's the bread from heaven, John wrote his last gospel. He was the last one to write the gospel down. And and he was writing his gospel as painful separation reality between Judaism and Christianity into two distinct religious streams. And John clearly let some of the angst of his present time come into that moment. Because keep in mind when you hear that, that Jesus was Jewish, the disciples were Jewish, all the followers, most of his followers were Jewish, and probably everybody in that crowd were Jewish. And actually, I find it, you know, and actually in this day and time where we continue to struggle with acts of violence and hatred against people simply because of who they are, it's important to take note that words do have power. And as Christians, we should pay attention to that. 
And on an amusing note about verse 41, I find it just quite funny to think we don't actually spend much time thinking about Jesus' family. That he probably, well, that we have little brothers and probably sisters that annoyed him and that he learned to trade and had a family and, and a life all before his public ministry. They had trouble believing what Jesus was saying because they knew his mom and dad. I am the living bread of life, he says. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. The bread that I will give is for the life of the world, is my flesh. The people are after a temporary fullness, some trick, some sign. Remember how our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness each day. What are you going to give us today, Jesus? And Jesus wants them to know that he's here for more than that. (laughs) That he's here to offer them more than to just feed their bellies. It reminds me of a quote, J.D. Rockefeller, who was at the time the wealthiest man in the world, was asked by someone, how much money is enough money? And he said, just a little bit more. And I love that quote because I feel like his answer speaks to that, that part within us that sometimes feels like, if only, if only I had something, I would be better content, happy, if I had a little bit more money, if I had more friends, if I had the right spouse, if I had the right job or career or popular or better or got my act together in some way, then suddenly everything would be okay and I would know what it is to be content. Jesus is speaking to the hunger within us that no amount of food or anything else can fill. Is there a famine? Are people hungry? Are you? I am the living bread, he says. I'm the bread of life. Jesus is telling that crowd that want a trick. (laughs) Some bread can fill them for a lifetime. A book I read for this series by John Fuquay says that Jesus is trying to tell people, I don't want you to spend your life chasing fullness. I want to offer you satisfaction no matter what. No matter what the circumstances are, I want to give you contentment and peace, and I can provide that. Let me be your source of joy so that no matter where you are, you can say, right now is a good day, and I am blessed. And when I read that, I immediately thought of a family friend of mine from many years ago who actually, I think, endured quite a lot in his later years in life. He, for one thing, he, he buried a child. He lost a child in, in young adulthood. And not long after that, he, his wife died, and he lost his wife. And somewhere in the midst of that, he was even diagnosed with a very severe glaucoma that took all his vision and he really managed it quite remarkably. He, he, he really did. Um, carried on with life and volunteered in his community and got involved in the Society for the Blind. And um, he had this expression that he always liked to say when anyone would ask him how he was doing, he would say, I'm living at the foot of the cross. 
you'd ask him, how are you? And he'd say, I'm living at the foot of the cross. And he would always tease me particularly because he would say, as a minister, we just love it when people say that stuff to us. And he always said it, I'm living at the foot of the cross. And when he, uh, his health declined, he was diagnosed with a significant illness. The time came that he had to leave his house and move into a nursing facility. And I truly... I truly despaired for him because I knew that he, of all things, he had hoped to miss out on that life experience. He had hoped that he could live out his days in his house that he loved so dearly, but it wasn't possible. And I went to see him at his new facility, and I really, truly was expecting to just go and wallow in it with him for a little while. Do you know what? the fine art of wallowing in it a little bit. I, I, I think there's a time and place for a good wallow in it for a moment. And so I plan to go there and to just say, this is hard. How are you managing? How are you doing? This is hard. Except as soon as I got in the room, I realized that he would have none of that because it was nothing but gratitude for that wonderful place joy at meeting these wonderful nurses who were taking such good care of him. Nothing but love for his dear family and friends who have been such a support to him. And gratitude for having a good day with not much pain. And I realized I should have known living every day at the foot of the cross. I should have known. And the truth is, he had spent his 80-plus years learning how to be sustained by the bread of life that has come to give us life and life abundantly. And I look at all you fine folks today, and mindful of all those people at home or on the radio listening today, and I don't know what everybody's facing the burdens you carry, the prayers of your hearts. But I hope you know. I hope you feel it in your bones. The living bread that will sustain you and give you life. We don't get a pass from hard days or suffering. We don't. But what we are given is a one who will offer us life to carry us through so that we will truly never hunger. Now, before I close, I wanted to share a quick story from one of my spiritual heroes in life, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And the thing about Bonhoeffer, if you don't know him, is that he was a German theologian and pastor who was living in the time when uh, Nazis began to take over his own country of Germany And he watched as his church became a church of Nazi rhetoric. And he spoke out against it and even tried to form his own church, the Confessing Church. They even tried to begin a seminary to train pastors in a different way. But as it would be, the seminary was banned and shut down. His books were banned. He was even banned from speaking And some Americans, really concerned, trying to save his life, arranged for him to have a job at a seminary in New York City. And uh, Tillich arrived in New York City in 1939. And actually, other German theologians did just this. Karl Barth, Barth, Barth? 
Paul Tillich, they all fled their own country of Germany during the war. And, but Bonhoeffer said that actually as soon as he got to New York City, he realized that he had made a mistake. And he wanted to turn around. It took him a month to get back home. And he actually said, I shall have no right to take part in the restoration of Christian life in Germany after the war unless I share the trials of this time with my people. So after he returned, he jumped full swing into the resistance movement. He even got involved in ways that challenged his long-held pacifist beliefs. And uh, he was arrested, and he spent a couple of years being moved around in various prisons, even spent time in Buchenwald camp. And he was at a prison in Berlin, when the order came that he would be hung to death. And he was sadly killed just really a few weeks before the entire war's end. And I tell you all this because do you know what he spent his last hours of life doing, knowing what was to come? He led his fellow prisoners in the communion liturgy. I'm not even certain they had bread. They probably didn't. But he took those moments to remind them and himself of the bread of life that sustains us. The last words that are remembered by a fellow prisoner of his said that when the guards came to get him, he said, this is the end for me, the beginning of life. Amen.